Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited because I have with me Jake Singer. And Jake is a NYU Stern MBA alum, and he's also the founder of Swapstack. And he's going to talk a little bit about that. But part of the reason why I wanted to bring Jake on the podcast is Jake also has a newsletter called The Flywheel, a little homage to, I believe, some of his time spent at Amazon, which made popular the concept of The Flywheel. But Jake wrote a post a couple months ago just laying out professional communities as well as professional organizations like OnDeck and really his experience with OnDeck and how it relates to the future of learning and education in ways that are really valuable for people that I think a lot of MBA programs and MBA students and alum can really learn from and think about as they think about their own types of professional development and the like. And I thought it was a really great article and I wanted Jake to come on, uh, maybe just talk a little bit about his career to date and to talk a little bit about on his experience with OnDeck and just his own thoughts, expounding a little bit further on some of the writing and whatnot. So with that, Jake, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I always love starting just with a warm-up question just to get people to get to know you a little bit better. So just would love to know from you, what was the first job that you had growing up? My first job growing up, I'll talk about my first job out of college. I had a couple of you know, camp counselor-esque jobs in, in college and high school, but, or, or even worse. But my first job out of college was as a, an associate at KPMG in New York City. I graduated, didn't really know what I wanted to do. It was 2009, so the job market was pretty, pretty rough. And I got very lucky to get an offer from, you know, a, a real company, let alone a, a good company. I was working as a, an associate in their corporate finance valuations consulting department. And it was super, super interesting. I learned a ton. It also completely burned me out. And so I only lasted about a year before I left on to the next thing. But I would say it's very substantive and, and, and action path. That's great. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what did you go to business school speaking with in the first place? So I know you mentioned you started at KPMG, but talk to me a little bit about what you were doing before business school and why did you choose to get it or pursue an MBA degree in the first place? Sure. Yeah. The job at KPMG definitely set the, set me on a specific path. I was in this finance world. I learned a lot about essentially like valuation and uh, modeling. I, you know, dedicated myself to becoming as proficient at Excel as I possibly could be and, and tried to add value that way. And I ended up, I ended up loving it and going really deep on different types of, of modeling in Excel. Like I mentioned, the first year at KPMG completely burned me out. It was essentially just to summarize what the situation there was. It was like very much like investment banking work and investment banking hours, but it was not investment banking pay. And so basically the model that they had was to try to recruit a bunch of smart kids out of college, burn the crap out of them for a year to two years. 5% will stay and become managers. The rest will go to either an iBank or a hedge fund or a P firm or whatnot or do something else. And so I was in that second category. I left to a hedge fund. So I moved down to Wall Street and worked at a very small hedge fund, just like a startup hedge fund. 
and, and basically leverage the sort of Excel modeling skills that I had developed to uh, help establish a new, a new operation at the firm. We were trading specific type of fixed income securities and um, details not super important, but spent about three years there. Learned, again, learned a lot. It was a very confined space. It was like this specific type of, of, of fixed income securities. It was like a, a pretty niche subject. And as I thought about what I wanted to do for the rest of my career, I didn't personally feel super attached to the mission of a hedge fund, which generally is just make more money. There's not really more past that there, unless you find a real lot of real intellectual satisfaction in the, the, the actual modeling or solving of problems. And I did for a couple of years, but once we got to a point where we were more reliable, like we were up and running and things were going well, that aspect of it faded away. And then it was really more just like, okay, exploit this opportunity as much as possible until the end of time. I mean, that, that prospect didn't appeal to me a, a whole lot. And yeah, that's when I started thinking about other options. The, the fund that I worked for, although it was an awesome experience, it wasn't like a brand name place. And so that was when I started thinking really about business school. I felt like I was developing really deep, very specific skills and something I didn't necessarily want to go further in. And I didn't have a brand name to take it more horizontally. So something else. So I perceived that the best way for me to expand my options or my option set would be to go to a good business school, get a brand name on my resume, um, maybe get a blue chip job at, you know, a consulting firm or something like that. Not necessarily knowing what I wanted to do, just more feeling like very option limited and thinking that business school would be a great way to expand those options. Thanks for giving that context and background. It was good getting more detail around some of your experience. And as you mentioned, you thought thinking about working for a blue chip company after business school, sounds like you were able to do that in terms of landing at Amazon. Could you talk a little bit about what that experience was like and what you learned from your time there? It sounds like it was an immersive experience from your end. Yeah. So yeah, I, I did end up at Amazon. I did have a great experience. I definitely didn't set out to join Amazon. I, like I mentioned, my, my goal was to get a great name on my resume. And I'm sure we'll get back to this, but I do not recommend that as like a goal going into business school at all, but that was where I was. So I graduated in 2015. Amazon was not a blue chip company in 2015 by any standard of MBA recruiting. When you looked at 2013 and 2015, the companies that the, the top targets for students, it was really the consulting firms, maybe Google, Facebook, not quite yet maybe Apple, but generally it was like the banks and the, the consulting firms, especially at NYU, the banks and the consulting firms was, was a huge focus for, for everybody. And yeah, so I came in very, very narrowly focused on consulting more than anything else. Ended up expanding it a little bit as I realized that I actually didn't know if I wanted to do consulting, I figured I should probably explore other options. And so I also explore recruiting for brand management, marketing jobs as well. Cause there was a, like a bunch of my friends at Stern were, were going that path and I thought it would be interesting. And then a little bit of tech, and that's how I ended up with the Amazon interviews. By some stroke of fortune, I ended up uh, with an internship at Amazon. And so I spent the summer in Seattle. And if anyone's ever lived in Seattle, they know summer is like amazing and atypical. And so obviously, if you spend a summer in Seattle, you get a little bit duped into thinking that this place is magical. And my actually, my summer experience, like on the job itself, was fantastic as well. I had a really cool project met amazing people, had a great manager. Like it was just, everything was, was checks across the board. And so got an offer to come back and I didn't plan it right away. I can't, I went back in the fall. I interviewed again for consulting. I didn't get an offer at any of the top three places essentially. And so I went back to Amazon. So that, that was a little bit on the, the path, how I ended up there. You asked about the experience while there. It's been, a, it was an interesting story. I stayed a little over four years. I resigned at the end of 2019, the first time. Um, I ended up going back to Amazon again about four months later. That was like the pandemic had just started. 
I hadn't found another job yet or wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. And so I freaked out. I went back to Amazon <laughs> and I only stayed four or five months the second stint. So that was like in total, almost five years at Amazon. And I had a really, really interesting experience, very varied as you probably have picked up. I wasn't very focused coming in on exactly what I wanted to do. And so I just went into like a rotational, not quite a rotational program, but effectively the same kind of concept. And so I got a chance to see a lot of different parts of the company. I was in um, retail for a little bit. I was in, I spent most of my time in Amazon devices working on things like smart home and like, but ended up my last job was in Amazon fashion. And then in the second stint, I went back and worked on Amazon transportation. So I got a chance to see a lot of different parts of the company, which was really, really cool. All in all, I was really impressed with everybody I worked with there. Obviously, when you work anywhere for five years, there's going to be ups and downs. But yeah, I learned a lot. I think the company also changed a lot during the time that I was there. When I joined, like I said, it was, I guess I joined full time in the summer of 2015. Just to put it in the context of something, uh, a metric people would really understand, like the stock price was 300. It's hard to imagine what that, it's interesting to think about. It's also interesting to think about what the implications of something like being at a company from when it goes from 300 per share to over 2000 per share. And now it's over 3000. The company really does change. It was growing incredibly quickly. It was, it was also changing the city of Seattle in, in a meaningful way. So yeah, it was just an interesting, it was an interesting era to be there. And yeah, by, by the, when I came in, it still felt fast and a little bit scrappy. And despite it was the fact that it was already very large, it didn't feel that big. By the time I left, it started to feel quite, quite a bit bigger. I'm um, a little bit more like a, like a slow, fast, or sorry, a slow, big company. So contributed to my, my thinking about leaving, but yeah, I'll stop there. I'll let you ask more specific questions and we can get into anything that's interesting. Yeah. You, and you had mentioned you had left and came back and then left. And so maybe the second time you left. At that point, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do next or were you just leaving because you knew it was time to leave? And maybe where does on deck really fit into all of that as well? Sure. So in between stint one and two at Amazon, I had about four, maybe five months off and I didn't plan anything for that time. I, I, I was actually pretty productive. I like learned how to code or at least spent time learning how to code. I wouldn't say I finished that task, but yeah, I, and I worked on a bunch of different projects and. But it was very open-ended. It wasn't, yeah, and I also traveled and I took a bunch of time off. Like I, I wouldn't say I, I had made a lot of professional progress, even though I felt like I was doing a lot of stuff. So when the pandemic hit and I felt like I had no other choice but to go back to Amazon, that scared me, that concerned me. I didn't like being that vulnerable. Obviously in a very privileged and lucky way that like that's my fallback option. Of course, that's like fortunate. But the second time around, I didn't really want to be subject to, to that again. And so coming out of Amazon the second time, I felt a lot more motivated to get my, get my act together. You'd be a little bit more serious about making progress. And so even though I don't know it, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I was a little bit more willing to invest in whatever it, it was that I, that I needed to explore. And so that's where on deck fits in. I, I, the first, the first, so the first thing I did when I shortly before I left the second time was started writing the flywheel and, and, and a couple of other projects that started around the same time, but the flywheel stuck. It took about a month or so for it to start getting getting um, picked up by random people on Twitter and started growing, which was really exciting, unexpected. And so by the time I left Amazon, I had this like writing thing going on. And then I also knew I had the the itch to like work on entrepreneurial projects, even though I didn't know what they would be. And so I enrolled in OnDeck. I actually enrolled in two different programs at the same time at OnDeck. So one was the Founders Fellowship and one was the Writers Fellowship, which no longer exists. But yeah, that was my off-ramp from Amazon was going into OnDeck. I felt like that would be I didn't see any way where that wouldn't be worth it in my life stage. Like I knew I was going to meet a lot of people who were thinking about similar things. I knew it would give me 
the space to explore ideas and find potential co-founders or whatever, build, participate in hackathons, like all of the, the various things that they were uh, promising. And yeah, I felt a lot of confidence about that decision and it, it definitely paid off. First of all, like I did end up starting a startup, met my co-founder out on deck. So that in the founders fellowship. So that's like the most tangible example. I actually also met somebody else when I was doing the like co-founder dating thing. I met someone else who I introduced to my girlfriend and now they're co-founders. So that is working out really well. I also interviewed, like through my experience at On Deck, I was able to meet the founders of On Deck, interview them for the flywheel, write this piece that we're talking about here, which was at the time, maybe still my most popular piece ever. And it eventually led to me, I, I don't know if you knew this, but we actually sold SwapStack to On Deck, right? A few months after we started and then eventually spun it back out. So we're independent again, but that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't joined On Deck in the first place and met those guys. So yeah, it led to a ton of really cool things and I'm a big fan. But thank you for sharing that. Maybe what we can do, and I think you actually did this in the piece. Could you share just what is on deck? And you mentioned it was valuable to you. Could you talk maybe about the aspects of the program that were really helpful as you started pursuing these side projects and then eventually built this path to building your own company? So on deck has changed a lot since when I joined to, to today. And I definitely am not the best person to speak about all of the latest changes, but at the time on deck was they were emerging from being a one product company to being a broader like education company. And so their first product was something called the Founders Fellowship. It began, as far as I'm aware, as a series of like dinners or just events that were aimed at people who were quote unquote on deck, meaning they were like, they had jobs and they were trying to figure out, they knew they wanted to do something next, but they didn't know what yet. And so they were exploring that, that phase of life. And so the, the intention of OnDeck was to bring those kinds of people together, believing that the, the community would help people figure this stuff out and match. And, and then eventually there would be services they could add on top of it to help people make the most of their time. I think it started as a remote only fellowship. I'm not actually sure about the timeline if it had something directly to do with the pandemic or not. Either way, by the time I did OnDeck Founders Fellowship in, in the fall of 2020, it was the sixth cohort of this Founders Fellowship. So they had done five previously. And they were just beginning to launch additional programs beyond the Founders Fellowship. So I also joined, like I mentioned, the Writers Fellowship. It was the first ever Writers Fellowship. At the same time, I think they did two or three additional ones. And so it, there was a little bit of a meme on Twitter at the, at the time where every week there was another On Deck Fellowship and then it spawned a bunch of jokes, but they were launching new fellowships like left and right. And I found that to be a really interesting business um, strategy. The concept was that these are just random ideas that are disconnected. They, they actually are connected and that there's potential for those folks in, let's say fellowship A to be connected to the folks in fellowship B in a bunch of different interesting ways. If, if you start with the assumption that you're that the, like the core is the founders fellowship, you could think about all the things that founders are going to need. If, if, if the, the eventual goal is that people are going to meet and start companies, what are all the things they're going to need? Well, they're going to need to hire. So you can start fellowships around job seekers or around maybe specific functions like engineering or products or whatever startup jobs are really important. They're going to need investors. So you can start fellowships around investing. So the, the idea is you can ask that question a bunch of times and keep saying, okay, what does this group of people need? You can then build a product for the people that could fill that need and then eventually build the, the connective tissue between those fellowships to, to formalize those relationships, to actually make it so that if I'm in a founder's fellowship, I can connect with the people who could provide me whatever I need in these other fellowships. That was, that was the path that Ondek was heading down. I thought that was really interesting. That, that led me to writing that piece and exploring their flywheel. My thinking was it was a flywheel in the sense that each new fellowship leads to new fellowship ideas and, and it can just go on forever. The specific aspects that were super helpful for me during my time there, like 
that was more meta on their strategy, but specifically as a person in the fellowship, they, they'd structured them. I think they've been iterating on this every single time. So I'm sure it's not exactly the same today, but I was, there was like an educational component, which is where they bring in speakers to talk about various different, in the founder fellowship, it's about different things that might be on your mind as a founder. The ones that I remember attending were like around legal, like how do you start actually set up a company? Like I had no clue. And it was actually really, really valuable to have an experienced startup player walk you through all of that. There were things around design, like for non-designers or SEO, like things that you never, unless you actually worked on that, you never have had exposure to. And so that was really valuable. And so that's gone the education piece and everything is like opt-in. You don't have to, it's not like school. There's no requirements. You can do whatever you want, but there's three or four sessions a day and you can drop into whatever you want. So that's on the education, on the kind of interpersonal side, there are so many different ways to connect with other people in the community. And I'd say the community is really what you're going for. In my case, I was exploring ideas and open to starting a company. And so for me, the, the things that were valuable were like co-founder dating, different pitch days where you could test out ideas. There were hackathons, things like that. And so it was just a great chance to meet a bunch of other people who were in a similar place in their lives. They did a good job of recruiting like smart people who had good experience and met a few different people eventually, or a few, a few different potential co-founders. Eventually, and we can talk about how we got down to this path, but I uh, eventually ended up meeting my co-founder that we decided to start building Swapstack together. And, and yeah, I'd say those are like the main pieces of value. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm pulling up your piece right now and just going over some of my notes from it. And one of the things you write about in the piece is just about, can something like on deck disrupt the current state of the MBA and business school? And I'm, I'm reading your piece again, and you talk a little bit about this through the context of the jobs to be done framework, which pioneered by Clayton Christensen. And the, the three elements you wrote about are the network jobs and the credential and in the context of an MBA, at least um, the network that kind of speaks for itself a little bit in terms of, I think it's probably a reason why many students go to business school to enhance their network. And you know, certainly the jobs, right. In terms of a career outcome, obviously you don't spend hundred or 200 grand you know, just for nothing, like you, you want a better career outcome and you want a future better career outcomes. And so the job thinks things make sense. And the last piece is certainly the credential, particularly to go to a top and having that credential has the ability to pay for many dividends, whether it's through the form of better jobs or certainly opportunities or other types of things. So that's a really good framework in, in terms of thinking about the MBA degree. I would love to have you maybe expound a little bit just in terms of the value of something like on deck, as you've written about in your piece in that sense, as you went through the experience yourself, how did you see, and how do you potentially see something like an on deck, really giving an MBA potentially a run for its money through the lens of, of those three things? Yeah, sure. Fantastic question. I think it's, it's different for each of the three. So I'll, I'll go through them. The network is, yeah, I would say it's the main component of value from on deck side. And it's, I'd say the difference between on deck and business school when it comes to the network is how specific the on deck network is. Like you're in a cohort of other people who are there for entrepreneurship, right? So I think an MBA program, and of course there's like now so many different variations, but by and large, you're in a class with however many hundreds of other people, but everyone, you might, by the time you get to the, your tribe of people who are pursuing similar careers and interests, you might end up with a group of 30 or 40 people. And, and so people end up fracturing in that way from a, from a network in terms of being like with other people who are thinking about the same things that you're thinking about, the, the, that there's a little bit of a difference there. I don't know which one's better. I think obviously the, the, the business school structure has some inherent advantages. It, but it's really just structural. There's no real reason why something like on it couldn't replicate this in the future. 
it's really just around, and in particular, the in-person experience of going to business school with several hundred other people that are taking two years off of their lives to go be together. There's, it's hard for a digital program that takes place over 10 weeks to replicate anything like that. And I'd say from a structural perspective, like the way business school has set itself up it is definitely conducive to establishing a great network. But I do think that because the interest matching isn't as precise as it is on deck, I personally don't believe that the business school network persists much beyond the degree itself, maybe a couple of years, at least in my experience with my friends and asking, who do you still speak to from business school? Like it's really just whoever you still end up living in the same city as at best. And of course, I know that's generalizing. I don't know if that's, I don't have data on that, but it's just a hunch there. And I think business school, part of the pitches of the network is you're building this lifelong friendship with all these people. And I don't think that's quite true. And I don't think that's the pitch for on deck. I think the pitch for on deck is like, you're coming here to accomplish a goal and we're going to help you accomplish that goal very specifically. And this network is the key to accomplishing that goal. And, and so th those are like slightly different. And I think they're infinitely different. And I think for anyone deciding between these two kinds of options, it's really very important to think about like, what do you actually care about and what do you want to get out of it? But, but yeah, so that's on network jobs. I mean, it's completely different, right? Business school is completely oriented around jobs and tying it back to the piece about network. I would say the network at business school is a nice thing that they market and that you get out of it, but you're actually going, vast majority of people are actually going for jobs. Obviously some people are coming in with, they're sponsored by a company and they're not coming for a job, but that's definitely in the minority. I'd say jobs is like the core reason to go to business school for, for I'd say the most, the vast majority of students. And we can get into whether we think business school actually delivers on that in a good way. I, I don't know, but jobs isn't really part of the story for on deck, at least not in the founders program. In the founders program, it's a lot more around starting a company. They've now since added programs that are actually around finding jobs. I can't really speak to those because I haven't been involved, but I say this is another one where being able to have these kind of very specific focused communities in each of these different fellowships is an advantage that an online program like Hyundai has over business school. Yeah. Yeah. And just riffing here, just thinking of just about the, as you mentioned, having all these different programs and communities, very much how an MBA and the network operates in a serendipitous factor. I do potentially see the value in having a number of different programs running concurrently and the opportunities for serendipitous interaction. And the biggest difference in that case is that particularly with a full-time program, like you don't leave your job to do on deck or you don't have to, you could in theory, I think you may have in your case, but you don't have to. And so if you're someone who is looking, who is in a specific on deck for, I don't know, marketers or, or product managers or whatever it is, and, and you did want to try to make a change, there are some opportunities for something like that to happen before those opportunities to happen. And the other thing I just, you know, thinking about out loud here is in, when you are in school, if you are particularly if you're in school full time, you're in school and in, in, in that environment, which has a lot of value. But when you're, if you're working and you're in on deck, you're in the heat of the battle, right? Like you're in the heat of being out there in the trenches, working on something and you're working on something or doing things with other people who may be doing the things that you want to do. And so there's, you're one less layer removed. So I could see potentially some value, particularly if you don't want to go full-time to just be in the zone of where the, the action is happening versus being in school and coming at it from a distance. I'm not to say you can't get there for those things. You, there's plenty of proven paths where you can, but I could see that having some value in being closer to the action. I, I agree. I think the, to, to, to be honest, I'm not sure that on deck and business school really are competing as much as like the premise of my article suggested. I think they really are very different products serving very different types of customers. Sure. I do think business school is an amazing product for, but I think it's for a much smaller segment of the population than we've probably been led to believe. It's a luxury product that costs a shit ton of money 
And if you are in a position in your life to be able to afford that, or they have this structural advantage that anyone can borrow that money to go attend, it's not, you don't have to pay out of pocket. What you're getting in return is a really interesting, there, there's a lot of value, right? Of course, you're going to go spend two years. And, and I assume we're talking about full-time. Yeah. Uh, these like top expensive schools or whatnot, but not necessarily only there, but like, you're going to go spend two years with hundreds of amazing people and have the time of your life. And, and a lot of them are, most of these people average age, like 27, 28 years old. So a lot of people are still like, you know, before they've had kids or gotten married, there's just a lot of partying. Like it, it's just a fact of business. It is an amazing, fun experience. And at the end, for many people, you end up with a fantastic job. So it's, it's a pretty solid equation, but that's, I, I, I do think it's like, it's worth keeping in mind that it costs a lot of money and there are plenty of people who have bad outcomes from that. And so it might work on average people, but I, I, I know plenty of people who like weren't happy with the jobs they ended up with and weren't making enough money and are in debt now five, six, seven, eight years later. And it's hard for them. And these are things that you're not really encouraged to think too much, too hard about by admissions teams at schools, but they're practical realities of the world. And that's where I think people who don't want to sign up for that potential universe now more and more, there are alternatives popping up and things like on deck provide a, a credible real path out from something like that. And I, and I agree with you. I think they, they do target, they, they are different products that solve different problems for different types of people. But what I do think programs like on deck and others really are, are important is because they are helping, I think, redefine the value that gets delivered when it comes to learning and professional development. And so strip away the name on deck. If you anchor back to some of the aspects of the program that you found valuable, I think the, what other, what I encourage or what I think other people should be thinking about is, okay, what are those things of value and how can we get those things, right? How can we get community? How can we get credentialing? How can we get jobs? And what does that look like in a new world, particularly for these, for MBA programs? And so I just think what I really appreciate what they've done and some of these other programs that they've done is that they've helped, or from my perspective, helped rethink some of these things, even just like network. I think on paper, having a network of 100,000 alum is, is a great thing to have. No, I don't think anyone disputes that. But to your point in practicality, it, it often tends to be the, the people in your city or in your geography. And so if network is still going to be a value driver for an MBA program, okay, well, what would a new way of that look like? And, and so I think to me, what it represents in, in these new programs like on deck and others is a way to really reframe the conversation around how are we delivering value to, to people, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what ultimately matters in terms of people coming in the door. Do they think they're going to get the value that they signed up for? And then do they actually get it when they finish? So that to me is what seems like exciting about on deck and some of these other programs. I, I think you're right. Uh, I think one other angle to discuss is entrepreneurship in general and the ways in which business school does or doesn't really support entrepreneurship. Of course, every business school now, or every serious business school now has some kind of entrepreneurial program. That's not the same though, as saying that they actually support entrepreneurship and promote entrepreneurship and are good for entrepreneurs. And I think there's a really important difference there. Like, I, I, I think probably if you were talking to Eric from on deck right now, he would say that thinking through the people who end up going to business school what would it look like for them to actually go and start companies? And, and would that be a good thing for the world? Would that be a bad thing for the world? Would that be a good thing for those people or a bad thing for those people? Um, it would definitely be a bad thing for those business schools, but put them to the side for a second. And I think he would probably make the argument that it would be a lot better for the world and a lot better for those people if they spent those two years trying to start companies instead of going to business school and basically learning how to be a good middle manager at Google. And I would agree with that completely. I think, I think that's a really important thing. And I think it's something that 
as I, it's easy for me to say now that I've had my good career at Amazon and I've had my credential from NYU, like I get it. It's, I'm, I'm a little bit biased and it's easy for me or not biased, but I'm, I didn't follow this advice at all, but I do believe that it is only getting easier for people to go and start their own thing and that more people should do it. And for, for lots and lots of different reasons. And I think programs like on deck are making that they're reducing the barrier to that. They're making that. I think one of, one of the last hurdles for people is, or maybe the last two hurdles are like having it be credible to your family. Oh, I could go to Harvard business school or I can like do nothing, do nothing for two years from my mom's perspective. That's what it looks like I'm doing anyway. So obviously which one of those two options will I achieve? I think programs like on deck, um, maybe we can talk about how they've evolved. They've, they're getting very laser focused on helping launch more startups, even more so than they were when I was there. Uh, I'd say that's hurdle one and hurdle two is, is having a community, right? Like I think that's, there is something appealing about going to business school and getting a community there and also going to a company and working in a job and getting a community there. Like people need, especially there's a lot been written about in American culture or really just in Western culture. Like we don't really make friends anymore as adults. And so these things actually are important. And so I think that's another need that can be solved by programs like on deck. Like you end up as opposed to if you just sat in your garage and started a company and maybe didn't really meet anybody here, you're going to you will get a community and you will have that opportunity. And so I think those kinds of hurdles are being cleared away. And I'm hopeful that what that leads to is that people who, everyone has the potential to start a company. I think a lot of people don't really think about it as a serious option, but the math kind of works. And I think it's better for, for them and probably net better for the world too. I think that's another aspect that's really important. On that notion, that's a good segue. Would love for you to, to talk about your path to entrepreneurship and what you've built with Swapstack. So could you share a little bit more about what it is and some of the journey you've been on. Absolutely. So Swapstack came directly out of my work with the flywheel. I started writing it in August or September last year. And a few months later, as I mentioned, it had grown um, and it was growing quickly. And I started, the, the light bulb went off that, oh man, I could actually maybe turn this into a business, which wasn't really the intention. It was really more just to have a project that I couldn't be serious about. And so when I started thinking about it more like it could be a business, I started thinking about how I might monetize it. And I started looking into sponsorships. I, I had been a fan of and, and been connected with Patty McCormick, who's obviously like very famous now in his newsletter. And he w was blazing a trail and newsletters getting sponsored and making a lot of money doing so. And so I was really interested in, in that path and started looking around for, for how I might find a sponsor. There, there were like lots of different marketplaces online, but different platforms. Email marketing is not a new technology <laughs> at all. And so I just assumed like, yeah, great. I'll just go list the flywheel on all these, on all these sites and let's watch the money roll in. <laughs> and of course it wasn't anywhere close to that easy. What I found was that there were either like very large, very established marketplaces that were built really more for massive publications. So the flywheel is never going to be a massive publication, massive as in like millions of readers. And th this is really more for like programmatic ads or other types. It's just a very different kind of products. So that was like one type of thing I found. And the other type of thing I found were more like what I had in mind, but they were clearly not serious projects and people weren't, didn't seem like they were being worked on full time. And like I listed stuff and nothing, like I had crickets. And so I started thinking like, there's gotta be a better way for this to, 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 to happen. The more I thought about it, the more I talked to people, I, I convinced myself that there was a business to build here. And so eventually I met Jake, my co-founder, his name is also Jake through on deck. And he was also thinking about newsletter ideas. He had a slightly different idea. We ended up connecting and brainstorming. And eventually I convinced him that the sponsorship thing was the better path, at least for the first starting point. And so we decided to start testing and, and iterating and experimenting with it. And, um, yeah, that, that kind of was the starting point. We've now been up and up and running for almost a year. We had this crazy journey this year with getting acquired by Undeck and then spinning, <laughs> spinning back out. I wrote about it in, in the flywheel in October, a couple months ago. 
if anyone's interested in going deeper on that story. But as of November, we are now once again, an independent company. We just topped $500,000 of total payouts for writers, which was all in this year. Was our first. Yeah, super, super excited about the future. I think it's a, it's an interesting business. It's been really fun to connect with our customers and, and just get really hands-on and building stuff. Yeah, just been a really rewarding journey. So one of the things you mentioned about by the time you had left Amazon was really large company started to feel large. Now you're a founder, co-founder running your own startup, probably the opposite of that. What's been that journey for you in terms of going from being at this large company uh, to now being in the trenches and just really being a much smaller, much crappier company as well as what's that experience been like for you? It's been incredible. I really, I came away from my time at Amazon a little bit scarred from like corporate life, probably a little overly, went a little overly too far in that direction, really feeling like I never wanted to have a job again, that like companies are all evil and there's, and I still believe some of that and we could talk about it. I'm happy to get into it, but, but really just felt like I needed to not go get another job at another real company again. And like the alternative was a little less clear. I knew starting something was on my mind, but also I got attracted to this like indie hacker movement. I'm just like launching small projects, not necessarily like a company. We're just trying to find a way to like make a living and scrap by. And, 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 but with Swapsa, we actually are a company. Like we are incorporated. We, we are paying ourselves salary. Like we're, we're raising a pre-seed round. Like we're doing all the, the company things. But I think we're super motivated to like not be like a massive, baseless, like evil corporation kind of thing. Obviously, I think everybody says that or thinks that, but... But, uh, but we'll see if we can pull it off. The, the experience has been really cool. It's been cool to take all the things that I learned that were good and apply them, take all the things that were bad and try not to apply them. And yeah, it's just, it's hard to, there's nothing that's the same. Everything is completely different. But I think the things that, my favorite things that are different are like, I guess uh, on the day-to-day side of the actual work, it's just doing stuff. If you identify a problem, like, and you do it. And if you don't do it, nobody else will do it. And that's like, really cool and interesting and sometimes it's overwhelming but it's 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 generally like you just feel such a high sense of ownership over everything because it you actually are the owner of it and that's really cool i think the other thing is just i'm just excited every day when i start working and that was not there at amazon um or any at moments here and there but generally not and i think that's just another thing where you like the outcome is uncertain and i think it's exciting in, in a little bit of a way of like a bit like humanity or like living is just like, you don't actually know what's going to happen and you don't know if you're going to survive. And that's a little bit thrilling versus I know exactly what my paycheck's going to be. And this company is not going anywhere. I think after a while you can get, get tired of that. Certainly. So now that you've done the big company stuff like at Amazon, now you're in the trenches being an entrepreneur and growing your startup. I am just curious, how do you think about your career in terms of the next few years or even your own your career growth in the sense that you are an entrepreneur and, and certainly you're investing all your time in your startup, but that's a very different world than working at a larger company like an Amazon, where I, I presume the career growth looks a little bit different. And so as you enter this new stage in your own career, how do you think about that growth and, and that development piece? It's a good question. It's very top of mind for me right now. I think my feelings and thoughts about this are always evolving, at least nowadays. I think the biggest shift has been for me going from at Amazon, thinking about my career as this thing that I need to pay attention to and tend to and make sure is doing well to now. I don't think about that. I'm not really worried about my career. I don't, and I think this is much healthier for me, at least I can't speak to anyone else, but I, I honestly don't want to ever think about my career ever again. And my, my general, I feel like maybe driving force now is to just keep swap stack or whatever I end up working on to be part of my day that I like, I'm happy to work on 
And, and sort of like, I think we have this idea that like this career is like a part of our life and it's separate from the rest of our lives. And there's like this whole thing to work on. And, and to me, I just want to have a rich, full life that includes like working on whatever I want to work on. And hopefully that makes me money. And if I don't think about career because I don't have a boss or I don't have anyone that I need to answer to, then all the better. <laughs> so I don't know if it's not, not a great answer. I haven't really thought too far ahead into the future. Obviously, I'm going to work on this for at least the next couple of years and we'll see how it goes. If it's successful, probably a lot longer. But if it's not, whatever, we'll figure it out. I, I, I assume I would try starting another thing. I, I don't expect to ever go back to work for another company. At least that's my hope. And yeah, like I said, if I could never think about careers or managing it or advancing, I think I'll be a lot happier. So that's what I'm going to try to stay focused on. For sure. It sounds like you have enough things in the meantime to keep you busy. Jake, it's been a great, it's been a great time chatting with you. If people want to learn more about you or want to learn more about what you're up to with SwapStack, where can they go? Where should they find you? Yeah. So I have the flywheel. I don't publish too often anymore now that SwapStack is, is very much a full-time job, but I still publish every month or two. And so that's the flywheel.substack.com. But that's going to be less about SwapStack. That'll be more just whatever I'm writing about. Swapstack.co is our website. And so you can learn more about our company, sign up. If you want to experiment with advertising with newsletters, like we're happy to help. We also have a blog there. So we, we post updates there periodically. So probably my Twitter is the, the last one I'll mention and is, is, is relatively active and spans updates on all of those. So that's um, J-A-K-E-S-I-N-G underscore is my handle. Hi, everyone. LD here, and thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you've heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast. Hi, everyone. LD here, and thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.